0: Energy continues to be a hot topic in the headlines. When we flip on a switch at home, we expect everything to work perfectly. And so last year, we explored the topic of how the grid survived, especially amongst extreme weather conditions. So on this episode, we wanted to do a deeper dive and look at the impacts of state regulations, as well as what we can expect from our energy sector in the next three years, as well as 10 years. So let's get started, start the countdown. Welcome everybody to the CG Hour. My name is Fanny Dunigan, and I am your host, where every episode we come to you featuring industry experts, business leaders, as they talk about the latest hot topics in technology as well as business. And if you're new to this, you are tuning in live on YouTube as well as LinkedIn. So please take this opportunity to network in the comments of LinkedIn as well introduce yourself, tell people what you do, especially if you're in the energy industry, and tell us where you're tuning in from. And I challenge you to connect with at least three new connections and build your network on LinkedIn. So please say hi in the comments. And on this episode, we're going to talk all around energy in the headlines as well as the outlook for the short term as well as the long term. But before we get to our amazing guests, we wanted to share with you this research video that we put together as to the headlines around energy right now. So let's roll that. Welcome everybody to the CG Hour. Thank you for tuning in live from LinkedIn as well as YouTube. This episode is gonna be all around the energy sector. I wanna welcome some of the folks in our comments. I see Deepak tuning in from Houston as well as Pooja from Dallas, Uh, Sin from Toronto. We got a Canadian uh, audience member here today. So thank you for tuning in Make sure you all introduce yourself in the comments. And now I want to introduce you all to our amazing guest panelists, everyone from the energy sector here. And I'm going to start off with our friend at CG Infinity, Jonathan Goldstein. He is the Senior VP of Energy and Utilities Practice at CG Infinity. He has 30 years of experience as a PMP and CSM delivery executive. And he's focused his career on managing multiple business and technology transformation initiatives, building PMO offices as well as leading organizational change through process optimization. And he offers a blend of technical as well as business knowledge that enables him to be an advisor on initiatives of varying sizes, budget levels, and business impact and he blogs frequently about his lessons learned along his professional journey on his LinkedIn profile. So welcome, Jonathan, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you, Fanny, it's great to be here.
0: Absolutely, and then on (laughs) my right here, we have Frank McGovern. Welcome, Frank, to the show.
2: Thank you, it's great to be here.
0: Awesome, and he is the president at Clearview Electric, a competitive retail electric and gas company dedicated to providing great customer value and they've grown from an idea to over 100,000 customers in 16 states. And the company has over 450 employees and dedicated contractors. The SMU Cox School of Business identified Clearview as the third fastest growing privately held company in Texas and he was also identified by the Dallas Business Journal as one of the who's who in energy and Inc. Magazine ranked Clearview number 39 in the best privately held companies in the industry. So definite expert for wow. our panel discussion today. <laughs> Thank you, Frank. Thank you very much. <laughs> Absolutely. And then last but not least, yeah. to my left here, Daryl Brown. He's the executive chairman of board at Atlantic Energy. Welcome, Daryl. Thank How you very you? much.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. He is a proven energy business CEO with a legendary track record of value creation in the energy industry. And he's received various industry awards and holds the record for starting, building, growing, and selling energy-related businesses. And he became the executive chairman and minority owner of Atlantic Energy, an energy retailer providing electricity and natural gas through environmentally conscious, value-added bundles that leverage technology to help customers reduce consumption and line with broader emissions reduction efforts and clean energy goals. Welcome, Daryl. Thank
3: you very much.
0: Absolutely. So today we're going to talk all around the great energy debate. And honestly, just around what's happening in the energy sector Last year when we talked about how the grid survived, especially amongst extreme weather conditions, we wanted to kind of do an even deeper dive this year on this episode, especially with some of the things that are in the headlines right now. Um, So one of the things we concluded from last year was that there is no one size fits all, Mm -hmm. right? Every state has different um, balances, renewables, non-renewables, and we really need a balance of everything. Um, but Jonathan, from your perspective, over the last decade, like what has at least in this case, Texas invested in around energy?
1: Well, I think as we saw in the opening piece, uh, you know, we've seen a thirty percent growth in investment in uh, green energy companies and um, and providers of solar energy farms, wind farms. So we're seeing uh, the investment dollars definitely head. That way, I think we're also seeing gains on the residential side, where, you know, the the solar uh, the solar panel of today is not what was being installed 10 years ago. The technology has improved, um, the the analytics and the um, you know di- digital aspect of the solar experience I think has improved um, far beyond what I, I remember in the early days of solar, um, and so it's it's continuing to innovate and grow in that in that respect.
0: Really? And Frank, you kind of cover energy across a variety of states. What have you seen over the last decade in investments?
2: Well, I think we've all seen it. Um, if you look at the the, the mix um, of the generation stack, the generation stack has shifted dramatically from a, uh, a coal based in 2008. I think we were over 50% coal to a uh, coal is less than 20% of the generation stack on a national basis. And that is true. Um, you know, throughout the nation at different levels, different states, different, different Mm -hmm. amounts. But it's an initiative that I think we're seeing everywhere. And it's exciting to see that shift and it's happening faster than I think most people thought it would happen. And the effectiveness of that shift seems to be pretty good too. Mm -hmm. So we're um, a lot of good stuff.
0: You do a lot of work in Europe as well, Frank. What are you seeing over there over the last decade?
2: So we have um, operations currently in Europe, and uh, the same, even if uh, maybe even a smidge more towards an environmental push over in Europe. Um, We have a a, a regional headquarters in Madrid. Madrid is uh, surrounded by both solar wind. Uh, You can't go anywhere without seeing fields and fields of solar fields and fields of wind. And it feels a lot like when you're driving out to West Texas Mm -hmm. in a good way. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the investments there, the investments moving that way. Um, I think the, you know, just from a headline perspective, we've all seen the the shake up in the the portfolio mix of generation. Thank you to the the invasion of the Ukraine and the the cutoff of natural gas. Mm -hmm. So um more to be had on that over time a lot of policy policy making is is shifting fast as it, as as we speak now to respond to the uh the the desire by the Europeans not to be beholden to russian natural gas
0: mm-hmm. absolutely and i i remember you know like um In Texas, you think it's just all about oil, but when we did our research, Texas is actually number one in renewable energy Mm -hmm. generation. Uh, Darrell, from your perspective, what are some of the investments you've seen over the last decade in Texas?
3: Uh, Yeah, well, uh, it's interesting. And Texas is unique, uh, as all of us know, because it is the most competitive retail market and generation market, and therefore, it's allowed open capital investments in these various alternatives. But it's unique because the customer can make a choice between whether they want to pay a very small amount more and get uh, and get green energy, or they want to pay for 100% of that, and that drives that investment. So, capital holders will look at those trends and make decisions about how they want to invest in a competitive generation market driven by the competitive retail market. Uh, I want to make a point here and it's about the value of, of competitive markets, particularly in Texas. And so let me, let me pontificate a bit. I am, I am Frank's laughing because he's heard me pontificate before. I like your pontification. Okay. <laughs> uh, I am unique uh, in this regard, partly because I've been in this industry since, uh, since Moby Dick was a minnow. And, uh, and first half of that was in the regulated monopoly business that is in most every state, uh, the majority of states in this country now and and was successful in that space in 2001ish when the Texas market deregulated then I have spent the last half of my career in the reg- in the unregulated competitive market particularly at the retail level direct energy business Hudson Energy Just Energy North American Power and now Atlantic Energy and at you know we could talk about so many little minute details, but if I raise myself to thirty thousand feet, that half century of experience, uh, and i I didn't realize it was half century until I was thinking about this about this answer. It has been that long for me that that the customer wins in a competitive market. Mm-hmm. It does <clears throat> if you're going to write anything down from my participation here is the customer it gets value out of competitive markets. It's lazy and easy to talk about rates because they're easily available and it's what everybody thinks is important. If you look at the uh, rates index from 2008, I have a chart on my desk of competitive states, the rates have drifted down on the average residential. It's gone back up the last couple of years, mainly because of inflation and the Ukraine war. But if you look at monopoly regulated states, they started out going up and they've drifted higher and higher and actually spiked a good bit in the recent couple of years. So from a rate perspective, the customer's better off in a competitive environment. In the state of Texas, the legislation that was passed in 99, I think, uh, gave an out to co-ops in municipalities. And if you look in Texas and do a thorough analysis, the rates of those co-ops and municipalities where you don't have a choice, like where you live, you don't have a choice, those rates are consistently higher than the competitive geographic areas. So customers pay less. Now you wouldn't hear that on the news because the people with the loudest voices don't don't really see it that way. Uh, and And so when some Somebody gets cut off, main quick in a competitive market. And I even saw some people blaming the competitive market for the URI storm, which was a ridiculous. Yeah, we actually we actually survived it much better because we have a competitive market. The other thing is customers have choices. They can choose to be 100% green or the minimum green. They can choose if they want a home automation system like we provided at Atlantic. Those customers have many more choices. Uh, so, so the bottom line is, and if you've got a pencil and want to make any notes, jot down, customer <laughs> is benefited by competitive markets in the electricity and, and gas space.
0: Choice, all about choice. Jonathan, from your perspective, what's working and what's not working as of now in the energy sector?
1: Um, I think the, the challenge with energy, right, is it's a little bit like plumbing, right? You really don't know that there's a problem until something happens, like a, like a winter storm Uri or some natural weather event, uh, like a tornado or a hurricane, like that's when you see the weaknesses in the system. So um, I, I think one could argue that the very fact that we're able to generate enough power to broadcast this show shows that the, the strategy is working until it doesn't. Um, and um, so we see, like recent legislation around adding natural gas generation capacity um, and making that a part of the overall strategy, uh, as it relates to our, um, you know, the, our combination of solar and coal, uh, nuclear and and natural gas. Um, I suppose one could argue that it's working, but I do see that we, uh, you know, a couple things that are potentially putting pushing things to the brink where. You know, our generative capacity is working, but we're also running these plants pretty high and they're running them pretty hot uh, because our weather, I mean, we all experienced uh, the Texas summer, which was hottest on record. And obviously we got through it, even though there was a threat of blackouts and brownouts, um, which thankfully we didn't have to have, but it clearly was pushing ERCOT to its brink. And, um, And I think that is problematic. We're looking at the blend of um, of our energy strategy and making sure that that's still optimized, I think, is an ongoing discussion. Um, and, and how do we properly uh, adjust? Um, I think there's some aspects right? there's the, of the industry where you know you're doing well and you know where you're exposed, right? Like if, if you know whether customer acquisition is working, because you have a pretty immediate feedback loop, so if you don't know that your acquisition is on target then you're not paying attention to something. Pricing, I think, right. You know, you know when you've priced yourself in or out of the market. You know it pretty immediately. Where yeah, I think customer chooses. It, well, <laughs> uh, well, right. And you, your margin feedback is pretty immediate. Um, but to me, on the risk side, the risk management, portfolio management, hedging, scheduling—that to me is where um, you see that blend of people doing homegrown solutions, off the commercial off-the-shelf solutions. No real one strategy for how to tackle that, and I think if anything is eminent, it's that how you manage risk as an energy company will define you as we go forward into the next five to ten years. Definitely.
0: And let us know in the comments, from your perspective, as energy professionals in the audience or just general consumers of energy, we all consume energy, what do you think is working and not working? Um, Frank, from the perspective of other states and Europe, what is working, what's not working? What can we learn from them in Texas?
2: I think what we have in, to build on what was just said by Jonathan, is that you have that point where you have a choke point or a point where something says, hey, I'm I'm, I'm near breaking. Uh, We can identify small pieces here and there. We can identify large pieces. Um, It comes to mind that uh, in the New England states, uh, they have shifted away from some of the heavy fossil fuels and, and stacked up with natural gas. So I think they're about, uh, from memory, about over 50% natural gas. And they, they haven't built the pipelines to get the natural gas in. So during some of the uh, the more extreme points, especially in the wintertime up there versus summertime in a place like Texas, uh, they are on, uh, they've got constraint issues. And those are some of the things that as, as, as the world shifts that need to be fixed. And then you've got some of the regulator bodies that are um, recognize that, like the state of Massachusetts understands that there's a, there's a, sh- a need there. And, this, and in, from my observation, the state of Connecticut is off, uh, often picking daisies in the field uh, on, the wrong, <laughs> on the wrong projects. And so um, it's important to have an alignment with a partnership between uh the industry and the regulated uh, the regulators and not a adversarially driven thing Mm. um so again state of connecticut is (laughs) adversarially holding back on Mm. solar solar stuff where other states are pushing for that so it's uh, but each state has a slight different tweak um state of pennsylvania just about three years ago uh, they were worried about the coal industry, so they held back on solar and then they did a, a shift seeing what was happening in New York, Maryland and New Jersey, and they changed the rules to support solar. Um, sometimes those 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 minor shifts can make a big difference and solar industry has taken off in Pennsylvania.
0: We have a question actually from Mike Parrish. From our friend at CG Infinity, he was asking. He's been hearing about like how solar um, is still very hard to scale. What would be your comment to that?
2: Um, I think what you've got is a a back to that that partnership between, um, and this is getting into the weeds. But the government and the the scalability. So there's tax incentives, but those tax incentives stop at about certain megawatt levels, certain. Pieces like that, and I think it's a uh, it's a piece that has to be related to some of the incentives that are out there to make solar work. Um, there's a, there's a quick answer, and then there's the large answer. Yeah. And then the large answer, we're not gonna we're not gonna solve that <laughs> yeah. one right here.
0: And actually, for all of you in the audience, be sure to connect with all three of our guests. Obviously, we're just yeah. touching on things at a very broad level with just short examples here, but. Uh, Definitely connect with them for more in-depth discussions. Uh, Daryl, we get some extreme weather here in Texas, right? We've had some, uh, we had the tornado that took out a small town in Matador yep. and a Texas nuclear plant that stopped producing yep. electricity, freak storms that hit Houston. Yep. yep. Are we prepared enough? for these kind of extreme weather
3: conditions here in Texas? Uh, That's that's a good question. Let me comment on something that Frank said there first and then I'll I'll hit directly that. The, uh, up in the Northeast, the different states uh, have those constrictions on the pipelines that you were referencing Frank. And some of the states are kind of arguing, which, you know, the New York, the state of New York is kind of saying, no, we need those pipelines for us and we can't let it go all the way up to the Massachusetts, which has built a lot of gas-fired power plants. So, uh, so, so that gets kind of tough. I know we're going to talk about some legislation in a minute, and I'll expand on that. Um, I think that the balance in in Texas, especially between an extremely hard grid and customer rates, is is a good balance. If you wanted to spend more money and, and harden the grid a little bit, like take transmission lines and put them underground, um, Frank's neighborhood experienced in the last few years a tornado that tore up all those distribution lines. Uh, the houses that could accept that service if all those distribution lines had been buried underground and protected and the substations protected with domes then those houses that stayed standing, which Franks didn't, uh, uh, the, they, could, uh, they could still get power, but the rates that they would have had to pay would have been a lot higher. So, so if you want to make investments to harden that infrastructure, you can, but it's going to drive rates up. Or, so it is a delicate balance. I am a fan of Encore and CenterPoints in Texas and others. That have made an adequate balance between hardening of that. If you look at the facts, a average residential customer has like 99.99% of the time their power zone. To take it from that to another, you know, closer it'll never be 100, but to take it a little closer to 100% will cost a lot of money. I think that 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 most everywhere, but I'm more familiar with the Texas uh, companies, they've made a good balance between hardening the grid and and paying more for it. Everybody wants to complain about, well, you know, we had we had some trees fall down with ice and therefore I was without electricity for three hours. And that's just horrible, it's just horrible. We're not used to that. But at the same time, they will also complain because rates are so high. And so it's it's a tough balance and you tend to think of them independently And you shouldn't do that. You should Mm -hmm. think about that balance between higher rates and a harder, more hardened infrastructure. Mm.
0: Yes. Frank, hearing all this and also your experience, um, what keeps you up at night when it comes to energy? What are you still kind of, you know, concerned about or wondering or frustrated about?
2: That's a, that's a wide open question, by yeah. the way, because with wide pick open one. answers, <laughs> uh, pick one, because I think what we have is the, the, the big ones that are out there are, are truly regulatory shifts where you've got, um, shifts that are probably inappropriate. Uh, you've got weather and that weather is always uh, a big one. And those are probably the two biggest ones. And, uh, each one of them can have a deep dive on the weather or on, um, uh, the uh, the, isu- the issues around regulatory. And I guess if you thir- throw the third on there, which is what we learned in twenty twenty two, was the uh, the geopolitical unrest when and I'll you know did we talk about that one. We're uh, in at Christmas time. Gas was three dollars a decatherm, mm-hmm. which is a major driver. Even if you're one hundred percent green, it's a major driver of the wholesale cost. And then uh, at peak, it was a uh, in twenty twenty two. Uh, because of all the unrest around the globe, and um, it was up to nine dollars and fifty cents, and that was mild compared to the changes that they saw in uh, with LNG, liquefied natural gas supplied like mm-hmm. Japan, uh, Europe. Those guys saw forty-five dollar decatherms, and so uh, that can send a ripple through the industry. Uh, Yuri, where which is a weather-related thing. Uh, we saw on a wholesale basis kilowatts that are normally twenty dollars a megawatt two cents a kilowatt go to nine thousand dollars here in the state of texas uh, those events have happened nationally and even in, you know, in such and that can really um, you know set set people up at night uh, usually not the week before, but the week after, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so, yeah. but we, we work to, we work with companies to, uh, our vendors, IT companies like Jonathan's and stuff to, uh, make sure that those things are well prepared for, and we, we're recovered in advance. So,
0: and Jonathan, uh, tying into that, right? Providing technology mm-hmm. solutions to energy, um, suppliers from your perspective, what is some of the things that you're concerned about or keeping you up at night from the technology perspective
1: um well fundamentally all the solutions we build here at cg infinity for our customers require power and internet to get to uh, access <laughs> so that's a uh, consummate about uh, worrying yeah. um, but i think our the biggest role that we play with our customers with our clients is is helping them stay ahead of the curve and um, so certainly what keeps me up at night is uh, are, are we Moving fast enough? Are we innovating? Are we enabling our customers to meet that innovation curve, um, and um, you know, uh, be either meet the market where it is, or ideally be the first to market with whatever they're trying to do. Um, so I think the the speed of innovation is something that's foremost on our mind.
0: Keeping up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of keeping up, we have now state regulations and things like that that are impacting the energy sector. So we thought we'd put together a video from our, uh, one of our energy experts at CG Infinity, Jason Baer, as he shares around the regulatory um, states and bills that are coming up. Let's roll that.
4: In the aftermath of the deadly winter storm in 2021 texas lawmakers have passed three main bills to address the issues and prevent a similar disaster from happening again the first bill passed in the immediate aftermath of that storm senate bill 3 required the public utility commission of texas to adopt strict weatherization regulations for power plants and utilities then in 2023 the texas congress passed senate bill 2627 to support the construction of gas-fueled power plants This bill offers incentives to owners of natural gas plants, encouraging them to build more capacity by providing low-interest loans for plant construction and upgrades and offering taxpayer-funded bonuses for connecting new plants to the grid. SB 2627 was passed by both legislative chambers and signed by the governor. This law must be approved by Texas voters at the election to be held on November 7, 2023. The third bill, House Bill 1500, places restrictions on how the Utilities Commission can set up a Performance Credit Market, or PCM. The PCM provides financial incentives to generators that commit to provide power during hours of highest reliability risk, addressing the reliability issues seen during the winter storm. If implemented, the PCM would be a dramatic change in the structure of the ERCOT market, which historically compensated generators only for the power actually consumed by end users. The Utilities Commission has not yet determined whether to implement this program, given the new restrictions. House Bill 1500 goes further by increasing regulations on new generators in the state, including performance standards. The bill also disincentivizes remote generation projects by increasing the interconnection fees when a project is located far from a transmission line this will increase costs for wind and solar generation projects especially in rural areas the bill also allocated five billion dollars for the loan and grant programs and increased annual budget appropriation for the public utility commission of texas electricity customers should expect rising electric bills due to the new financial tools and regulatory constraints
0: So I wanna move on and talk a bit about these state laws and regulations that we just heard about. Daryl, from your perspective, what is the impact to you know, your companies as well as the other um, providers? Um, I'm reminded of two quotes,
3: one from Ronald Reagan that says uh, uh, the nine worst, uh, most feared words are I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. <laughs> But my father, who was uh, somewhat in the political business, he was an acquaintance of LBJs, but not a fan, Uh, just to make it clear, said, anytime the Texas legislature is in session, you need to hide the women and children. It's just dangerous. (laughs) And uh, this was many, many years ago. Um, Senate uh, House Bill 1500 is uh, has a lot of little things in it, but it was a mainly a requirement to reinstitute the public Utility Commission because in the state of Texas you have sunset laws. And if you don't renew uh, a department or an organization or an institution like the Public Utility Commission, it expires. Uh, it sunsets. And so this one did that. Now they tacked a number of other things on it uh just as the way the legislature tends to do uh which some of them were bad and good but not any huge thing so i am a uh i'm i'm okay i think with senate bill 1500. one of the other pieces of legislation if you want me to go into the other one is senate bill 2627 i do Mm -hmm. dyslexic on that number a lot um that was an extremely uh, controversial piece of legislation as Jason Baer was saying in that last segment uh, it provides five billion dollars of state funds to guarantee loans and so now it's going to put the Public Utility Commission and ERCOT into giving loans this was a piece of legislation um, that some of its distractors were thinking it was pushed by one large corporation in this country that will go unnamed because they're too large for me to get in trouble with. Not in the energy business uh, in anywhere entirely, but that it's it's, it's a pretty, uh, you know, a windfall for them. Uh, I, I struggle and th- this would, would give loans at I think 3% interest rate to companies that would build standby inexpensive uh, gas-fired generation for, to be turned on during emergencies. Uh, I, I struggle with having the government make those decisions especially so far in advance of when those emergencies will happen. The Yuri, trauma of URI on the electric system and the psyche of Texans is going to be really strong for a long time. Uh, and so I'm, I, I'm concerned and I will watch with great interest how that's promulgated. That even requires a state constitution amendment to be able to do that. All state uh, constitution amendments pass wildly in Texas. If the government proposes it, it's usually voted in. So I'm not—I I don't think that's a hurdle. Uh, but I'm—I I'm, want to watch really how that—the how that, promulgation of those legislation works out in Texas. I'm a little concerned about that.
0: Frank, are you seeing similar regulations or state bills being passed that impact the other states?
2: So with the with 50 states, there's obviously 50 different pieces going on. Um, I think one of the things that, in addition to what we have to look work at what the, is happening on the grid, we have to watch to see what's happening with usage. And I've, um, I've shared this in in the past, but with the migration to electric vehicles, um, states like Massachusetts, states like Washington, going to 100% electric vehicles within a decade. Um, The average household in the United States, about 10,000, 11,000 kilowatts. Two cars would add another 10,000 on top of that. So legislation over here that says we're going to go to 100% electric vehicles is going to impact the grid over here with uh, multiple different issues. And it's kind of the, the, the waterbed where you press here and all of a sudden it goes up over here. Something happens over here. That something over here is a grid network that has been in place for, you know, as Daryl says, his, his 50, 50 years, but it's been here 50 plus 50. and um, the grid is going to have to shift for that, that demand, whether it's at a neighborhood that has, you know, 30 houses and 60 vehicles all charging at five o'clock at night, or it's going to have to shift, um, something to accommodate that big of a demand. So, um, so that that's a, that's a whole can of worms that a lot of smart people are trying to tackle as we speak.
0: Well, Jonathan, from a technology standpoint, how does that impact the solutions you provide? Um, how are these regulations and state laws going to impact that?
1: Um, regulations are t- t- tend to be good for business because it generates some change to some system that we need to make, um, which is not the way I t- <laughs> t- tend to want to make money. Um, but um, I-, I-, I have to agree with, with Daryl um, and Frank. I, I just we, uh, we, you can see full well where this regulation is coming from, and it's not from "let's do best by the, the citizens of the state of Texas." Um, it's some business that needed, that that found a, that saw a capitalistic opportunity, and 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 le- found a way to legislate it. Um, that's not solving the energy uh, situation for Texas. I don't think it's solving it for the country. I think we need to start to look at um, that at the at how energy is used and start to use a different lens. Yes, a car, an electric car, requires more energy than than your current footprint if you plug it into your house or uh, to to charge it. But once it's charged, it also becomes a storage of energy. And and I think the more we start to see that there's a give and take here, um, and the more that we start to see that consumers can be equally as part of the solution in helping us regulate energy usage um, regulate not from a legalistic standpoint but, but from a from a behavioral usage you know regulating how you use energy when you use energy what what energy source you use from um, I think is where we need to be going as an industry. Um, a great example is um, solar uh, residential solar it 's all grid tie so the grid's down your solar 's down that doesn 't make any sense you have a generation capacity on your house it 's it should be accessible um, in the situation of a, of a, a blackout or, or even a, a brownout, but it's not. Um, and so now you've got this really expensive investment on top of someone's house that's inaccessible because of the way we've kind of regulated the implementation of it. And so I think those kinds of, that type of innovation, those kinds of conversations where we're pushing this as like, this has to be a collective discussion on how we solve our energy needs um, and to keep the consumers. Out of it only to uh, um, uh, only until you want them to pass some legislation that doesn't benefit them is not um, moving us forward, I think
0: well speaking of consumers being part of the solution uh, there's a really good comment here in the comments from uh, Lindsay Margiata. she was saying that in response to the, the question and this is open to any of you we, we'd love to get your insight um, you know, if we do ask consumers to pay more in order to help um, improve the grid, um, but then when it comes down to they lose three hours of, Mm -hmm. you know, energy or electricity during a storm, then they still feel like, well, I paid more, but, you know, I lost three hours, right? So there's still that individualistic mindset. Um, So are we really kinda at a level where we want to invest and pay higher rates for the greater good of the grid? Thoughts? Opinions? Yeah, I,
3: I will expand on what I said before and say it a little little differently is if you can either pay for the hardening of the grid, which is really expensive, or you can do something like have a backup generator. Mm-hmm. And those are not that expensive. And that would be a distributed generation and it would come on only when a tree fell in your neighborhood and knocked out the line for the three hours in your example or six hours. and. And you then will have a hundred percent coverage, uh, and those are those are not uh, real expensive. If you do the analysis, those are a lot better for those that really demand near a hundred percent of their time for their energy to be up. It's a whole lot more effective investment than to harden the grid and put the substations in domes and things like that. That uh, that some people would theorize very very expensive.
1: Well, and it's such a miss It's it's. I feel like it's. uh yeah. You know, we talk about. Um, fake facts, right? So like the, I think, I feel like the the preeminent diatribe over winter storm Uri was that the plants were not weatherized. That's not the case. They were weatherized. They They just weren't weatherized for a weather situation that happens every 1000 years. Yes. And how much are you willing to pay for something when you don't know it's going to happen again? Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I much prefer your strategy, Mm -hmm. Daryl, where it's like, have, have emergency, have an emergency plan. Yeah. Um, of backup capacity that you can put in place when something does happen but i don't think the answer is put another natural gas plant out into the Mm -hmm. into the universe that is uh, weatherized at the same level that we were were uh, before my
3: sister had a backup generator and she lives in the woodlands area in houston and they were without electricity and the whole neighborhood came to my sister's house (laughs) and they had a party (laughs) which is Typical for my sister, by the way. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's a very effective investment if you demand or if you require that kind of uh, that kind of uh, uh, solid solidity in the network. Yeah, but, but society
2: doesn't. Uh, you know, society has to work for the masses too. Yeah. I'm sure not everybody can afford a, a generator or right. whatever. And so, how do you? What is that balance? I think the Northeast went through a lot of every time there's a hurricane that hits, whether it's Sandy or whether it's the one that hit Long Island or, or such, uh, the, the balance is rethought because at, before the hurricane hits, everyone is on, on the shift of we don't want to pay any bit more. Mm-hmm. And then when the hurricane does hit, exactly I, you right. know, I lost everything in my refrigerator. And now it's I want the shift on the other so side a of the real short term and focus. Yeah, so
0: love to hear from the audience. Do you have an energy emergency plan? Share with us that plan in the comments as an individual. What is your emergency backup plan? And uh, as we move into the next segment, there's so much more to talk about. But in the meantime, we wanted to share with you a really fun video that's different and unique and kind of quirky. You may enjoy it where we kind of talk about where the next EMC conference is going to be. So let's play that video.
1: Uh Alicia Keys?
0: Oh, this is Alicia Keys, New York, New York.
4: Next, please. Mm Is this, uh, New York by Beyoncé?
2: it's not called New York, is it? No. It's Jay-Z and...
0: In a city that doesn't sleep... Oh, so,
3: yeah, this is New York, New York.
4: Oh, it is Frank Sinatra. Got it now. I feel like I know
2: every one of the lyrics. I feel so uncultured now. <laughs> I got nothing again. This is standard New York. This is New York, New York. The uh... small town blues. Yeah, Frank Sinatra.
4: So Frank Sinatra. New York, New York.
1: I do.
4: Sinatra. John Travolta. Say that.
2: You can't let me uh, uh,
1: I mean uh to understand the new staying alive. You you're not dancing, no, it's not happening.
3: Some folks like to get away, take a holiday. I'm not gonna know the song title.
4: How much of this are we allowed to Can I just listen to the next three minutes of this song? I'd probably get it eventually.
3: I'm not gonna get this one.
4: I'm not even gonna pretend. To lay on the piano. That's an interesting one. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> Springsteen.
3: Yeah, this is Billy Joel's New York State of Mind. NO
4: SLEEP TILL! It's the Beastie Boys, man. Everybody knows that song. You got any George Strait?
2: Oh, you know who this is. This is the Beastie Boys!
1: Beastie Boys?
2: Beastie Boys? No sleep till Brooklyn? So
1: finish strong. Beastie Boys, no sleep till Brooklyn. <laughs> nice. Two beats.
4: CG Infinity is headed back to New York for EMC 20 in October as a sponsor. We will have a booth and we look forward to connecting with you.
0: How many of those songs did you guess correctly? So as you can tell, EMC Conference is going to be in New York this year, so be sure to check out the CG Infinity booth there. Um, So let's look to the future. Next five, ten years, population is growing. We have an increase in development, uh, especially in Texas. Uh, maybe we 'll start with you today, um, this segment, Jonathan. like where do you kind of see technology or energy sector going in the next five to ten years?
1: Um, boy if i 'm right on this it 's going to be great um, but Let's play uh, <laughs> um, so I think if you go to a technology conference this year they 're going to be talking about AI. Um, and I think so. The usage of AI in the energy space is only going to increase. Whether it be your sales and marketing teams l- l- using um, AI to kind of predict um, acquisition trends and churn, um, or, um, or your oper- your uh, pr- pricing and supply teams using AI to uh, identify risk trends that they need to be mindful of. So That's I, an think, important one, I think. Yeah. So I think AI is is going to be huge. Um, I think we are also uh, we're seeing this in so many aspects of the economy, but the, the the impact of the subscription economy on energy, I think, is really impacting how people consume um, purchase energy, um, and I think uh, the the commodification of the in, the information about energy choices is also creating a much more sophisticated customer. I think you see that at Atlantic Energy, Daryl, mm-hmm. with uh, yep. uh, people really saying, uh, you know, LED, like that's well, most, not even really a choice, but like, yeah. you know, wanting that to be a part of their, their home. Yeah. And, um, and so I think people getting smarter about how they consume energy and wanting uh, technology in their, in their hands that explains to them how their house is using um, energy and, and more and ideally having more control um, over that. So
0: Frank, from your perspective, where's well, the money going?
2: In the well, next? building on what Jonathan said. I think you're going to get more smarter about things, and, but, and one aspect of smarter in addition to the AI is the little pieces around the edges. In the 1950s, it was a big power plant, lots of consumers over someplace else and wires in between. We are going to see more and more of the little pieces, whether it's solar panels on the roof, whether it's distributed batteries, whether it's um, management of n- n- thermostats or management of electric vehicles, it's going to be management from AI type of things where one knock center can manage even down to the, the neighborhood and the street. Um, if there's constraints on a, uh, uh, in the grid in certain places, the the piece parts that are in that that specific spot so we're going to get smarter and smarter about being surgical and more detailed about where energy is used and where it's coming from and those places where it's coming from are not going to be totally the big power plant it's going to be small places Mm -hmm. um as well as the the big power plants are never going away but Mm. the little little pieces around the edges are going to allow us to be smarter about how that energy is is distributed through a grid network
0: anything significantly different in advancements between the us and europe that you're seeing?
2: um i'm gonna just go out on a limb and this is my observation is that when it comes to some of the the innovation in that small smarter smaller pieces the us is ahead mm-hmm. when it comes to the consumer being more open to being um, to to some of the uh, the the, the, the nuances, I think the Europeans are a little ahead. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. um, the smarts are coming from nothing against the Europeans. The smart technology is here, the adaptability is there. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. um, I th- but I do think that in both places, things are m- going to move much faster in the next 10 years than they have in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And um, so when you asked about Europe, the wake up calls are there, though, especially what's happened in the last 18 months with their energy uh, distrib- supply network and with what's gone on throughout the geopolitical environment. So mm-hmm. and it'll, it'll continue to, to rock their world for a little while. Got it.
0: Daryl? your
2: uh,
3: Yeah, uh, let me answer it, not from a generation mix, but from a retail perspective, mm-hmm. which is where I am and it expands a little bit on on part of what Jonathan said. I think that retail energy companies in the future will improve their value and make themselves larger if they can offer something unique. In the residential space, I really like what my company, Atlantic Energy, is doing, where we provide high-efficiency bulbs, we provide high-efficiency security cameras, we interface with the customer's thermostats, all through an Atlantic Energy app. And customers have expressed that they like that. They don't want to go out looking for a different kind of cameras. And we provide it free. It's part of the bundle of what we offer uh, those customers. And I think to be successful in the uh, – when Frank and I first started in this space, as long as you threw a hook in the water, <laughs> and you could actually bill a customer, and you could actually do reasonable risk management, then you could, you could better than break even. But now it's a really hard environment, and you have to offer something special. And I think in the, I uh, com- won't address commercial, but in the residential space, uh, it has to be something along the home automation line and improving their access to know what they're spending their money on and uh, and that that will distinguish the future retail energy customers from those that are more stuck in the past in in the rest of this decade.
0: You're literally putting the power in the yeah. consumers' hands in, in in their smartphone. In their yes, hands. and we yes. we
1: did that to a certain extent at North American Power. We did uh, with yeah, Understandable, we, we, yeah. uh, and it's really morphed and it, really it got was a lot the, more It
3: complex. was the genesis. Yeah, that was a mm-hmm. genesis for that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: to kind of have a final question for this panel as we look forward into the future uh, and i'll start with you frank what are you most excited about in the energy sector innovations game changers things like that
2: that's a great question there's so many things to be excited about the uh, the opportunities are there the uh, the customers are becoming more and more aware of all the nuances as Terrell has pointed out from a residential perspective on a business perspective people are becoming more aware i think it's the it's the more interactive you know uh, i'll just analogize it 30 years ago we all had landline phones and now we you know it was a big deal to get a palm pilot or something like that with lots and lots of buttons and now we have um these things called smartphones. I think the energy sector is going to transform where for a hundred years it was very staid. And I think for the next 10 years and 20 years, we're going to see a lot of transformations, a lot of smart things going into the home, into the business that will allow for even more energy efficiency and more changes and a more dynamic relationship between And it may not even be conscious, but a more of a relationship between the consumer, whether it's business or residential, and the energy company that is managing some of the the thermostats, managing whatever it happens to be to optimize that grid and optimize that, uh, that whole ecosystem to help the consumer with lower energy bills, more efficient grid, and a smarter way where we're taking technology to take it to the next level so that we will have a transformation like the phone sector has that the next 30 years, 20 years, or even 10 years, we'll probably have a lot more smart things going on back and forth.
0: Jonathan, as a technologist, what are you excited about around innovations in energy?
1: Um, To me, like what I'm studying is this concept of the building you're in and the home that you live in becoming the power generation device just as much as it is a consumption device. Um, that, to me, I think will be the innovation that's on the f- that that hasn't really ha- happened yet, um, but I think will be the most interesting to watch. Um, we see some companies propping up where they're helping their customers uh, with uh, additives to their to their commercial property or their plant property that turns those um, generally consumers of, of uh, electricity, gas, water, um, but also you can obviously put things on the, the premise to make it a generation asset. And mm. that mix, I think, for uh, utilities, for uh, generation companies, and for the, those who, uh, who provide the, the retail um, relationship will be both uh, kind of an opportunity and a challenge um, and it really will push the model but i think it'll if we get it right it'll push it in a really good way
0: and along that theme of consumers be part of the solution yeah right absolutely yeah. daryl what are you excited
3: I, about i uh, i really hate to um to agree with jonathan i, I am i am <laughs> so, really, rare. <laughs> yeah, so rare uh, we've worked together <laughs> for a long time i I am excited about the interface between technology, uh, specific, particularly. And this is not next year or the year after, but but we have we distribute in electric world a commodity that changes price every minute or so. So it, the price goes up and down based on the demand, and we've got people kind of understanding that they want a fixed price kind of a product. But in reality, technology will govern when and how you take the electricity and you change electronically, systematically change your consumption based on the price of energy at that moment. And that, that makes us, us to use the supply and demand curve very effectively and it will reduce our need for for our peak power plant building And it, uh, you know, we got a bad start in that uh, real-time pricing through the gritty uh, collapse. But I really think that the combination of that uh, moment-by-moment pricing of the electric commodity and your consumption patterns, if you're in a factory and you could stop production for five minutes while electricity prices are really high, yeah, you do it. And because you've, you've cut your expenses a lot. But during the times when electricity prices are low, you put on extra shifts and you do extra things and you take more power during that time. So it'll flatten that curve, uh, which will make a lot of difference. So I hate to agree with Jonathan, but technology will make a big difference in the next decade or two.
0: That's really exciting, that kind of immediate responsiveness. It is. um, That Uh technology. And you don't have to think about it. The technology
3: will do the math for you.
0: Well, we can definitely go into lots more detail here and uh, tons more topics to cover. But uh, like I said earlier, please connect with our guests, Jonathan Goldstein, Frank McGovern, as well as Daryl Brown. And you can continue those kind of energy conversations and follow their profiles on LinkedIn. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for your time, your expertise, your advice, your lessons. And thank you all for contributing your comments. We see tons of them. And I know there's other questions in there. We'll go back and get them answered for you. And uh, one quick thing before we wrap up, we wanted to give a shout out to our Alliance of Technology and Women Association. And uh, there's two events that's coming up. We'll pull that up real quick. There is the first one, the virtual event around unconscious biases at work. That'll be virtual. Go to DFWATW.org, as well as their Executive Leadership Forum Gala. That's always a great and fun time honoring technology executives in DFW. So next uh, episode, October 18th, that's gonna be all around CRM, Customer Relationship Management. We're gonna build a show around that. So make sure you tune in then and save the date for October 18th. And as we always like to close out on the show with our sponsors, CG Infinity, People First and Driven to Transform. Thank you everybody. Thanks for tuning in.
3: Thank you.